Hey, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to episode number 70 of the John Riley Project. It's Thursday, August 22nd, 2019. Man, episode 70. You know, Steve Dow was just here. We were talking about we're getting closer and closer to 100. That'll be a, a big celebration when we get there. So, yeah, right on. Episode number 70, and we are broadcasting, as we always do, from the city in the country, Poway, California, 92064. And for those of you that aren't locals, Poway is in the San Diego suburbs. You know, we were um, just uh, actually this past weekend, we were just out in New Mexico helping my son move into his apartment. He's starting his sophomore year of college out there and was talking to the parents of his roommates and they're saying, you're from Poway. Where's Poway? And, And you try to describe it to someone that's from out of town. I usually say, you know, you know where Del Mar is? And they'll usually, most people will know where that is. I'll say it's like 10 miles inland as the crow flies. And uh, that's where we are here in the city in the country, Poway, California. Hey, um, got a number of things we're going to get into. Uh, We're going to talk about climate change ideas in the city of San Diego. We're going to talk about the housing crisis, a housing battle that's going on in the city of Oceanside. And we're going to talk about the San Diego Republican Party and their new website, propaganda tool, messaging platform, whatever you like to call it. I think that's going to be an interesting, you know, a little bit of a monologue here on that as well. So, um, yeah, what's going on? Uh, I'm I'm still buzzing from the last three podcasts that we did. Um, We had three amazing interviews. Um, You know, our first one was with the interfaith community here in Poway with Reverend Doctors Stephen and Abigail Albert. Um, They're the leaders of the interfaith uh, group here in Poway, but they're not just focused in our local community. They're working on interfaith for the state of California, and they got Jerry Brown, the governor, um, you know, the previous governor, to make the second week of August a national or a statewide holiday, proclaimed it Interfaith Awareness Week, and they just completed that last week. We had a wonderful conversation talking about different religions and how the people in those religions can come together, can find commonality, can break down fear, uh, break down hate. And I just thought it was a beautiful discussion. I invite you to check that one out. Um, Then we had Steve Dow on the podcast. Steve Dow is a... uh, an author from Rancho Bernardo here in uh, San Diego area. And, you know, he's a, he likes to say he's a citizen and he's a voter. He's an independent voter, uh, just like I am, no party preference. And he has a new book. It is called The 15 Reasons People Voted for Trump in 2016. Um, and it was, it was a fascinating conversation. You know, we got into, tribalism. We got into, um, you know, all of the issues surrounding President Trump and, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. And and we really tried to talk very rationally about reasons why people voted for Trump in 2016 and and really tried to stick to the facts. And I think if you go back and listen to that podcast, whether you're a Trump lover or a Trump hater, we think you're going to agree on some of the reasons that people voted for Trump. Um, you know, when we get into the details. That's where you know the the um, what should I say the the uh, political divide may kick in, the partisanship may kick in. But a lot of the reasons that he outlined in his book were factual, in my opinion, 
if you get, if you open up his book, look at the table of contents, the 15 reasons people voted for President Trump. Yeah, I think most Republicans would agree with that list. Um, you know, he's good for the economy. Um, you know, I, I can go down the whole list, but I invite you to check out that podcast. It was wonderful. Um, we talked about green energy. We went on all these crazy tangents and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then, of course, you know, Steve Dow, this is the first time we've ever actually had um, – the, the, he, you know, his wife was a guest on the John Raleigh Project last year. So now we've got the Dow family, um, the patriarch and the matriarch of the Dow family, both on the John Riley Project. Thank you very much for um, coming on out. And I hope you enjoyed that if you're listening or watching to the podcast. And then the final podcast that we did that we released last week was um, San Diego sports fan, super fan, David Leland. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Um, what an amazing young man he is. Um, you know, he's a Poway guy here. My Both of my children went to high school with him. So we kind of know him. We know his family. Um, and this this young man is born to be in the sports industry. Um, just unbelievable recall of statistics, hot takes, hot opinions. Um, just was fascinating. I mean, it was like rapid fire with all the content and information he has. So we had a great conversation just breaking down the Padres and talking about Andy Green and whether or not he should get traded. We talked about the uh, Fran Mill Reyes trade and Josh Naylor. I mean, we literally broke down every player on the 25-man roster Talked a lot about the the minor league uh, hot lava hot talent lava that's coming up. Um, we got into the Chargers and Dean Spanos and Aztec football, and it was awesome. So um, you know, I've been talking with David, and we're going to have him back. We haven't scheduled it. We're trying to figure that out, but I hope David will be a frequent guest here on the John Raleigh Project, particularly when we're talking about sports because he has so much to add. Just another amazing personality here in the greater Poway Rancho Bernardo community, you know, Rancho Penasquitos, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Forest Ranch, Saber Springs. This is the area where I live. And these are the topics and people that I like to cover. And, you know, in this podcast, you know, it's all about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But we look at it from a local perspective. We'll talk about local issues here in the North County inland area of San Diego County. But we'll also talk about San Diego County issues, which is what we're going to do today. Today is a San Diego County focus. And then um, and then sometimes we're talking about national issues like we did with Steve Dow and like we, we broke down universal basic income and Andrew Yang on a previous podcast. So, you know. It's funny. It's like some people ask me about this podcast. I'm like, what what are you talking about? What What is the topic? Expecting me to deliver to you a narrow niche that we're going to zero in and focus on that. And, you know, I thought about doing this podcast that way. But then I realized is that I have so much to talk about. I have so much to share. And there are so many interesting guests that I want to meet and have conversations with that I really didn't want to limit it to just one topic, one narrow channel of conversation. Um, so that's why I named the project the John Riley Project. And, you know, is that my ego? <laughs> Maybe. Um, but really what I'm hoping that you get out of this is that as I go through these issues, and these are topics and issues that I like talking about, then maybe you can see the world through my own lenses, you know, through my own eyes, and um, and maybe get a different perspective, um, 
maybe you share my opinions on issues, maybe you don't. That creates conversation, and I'm all about the dialogue, and I, that's why I love having guests. And so I'll put it out there again, as I always do. If you are interested in being a guest on the John Riley Project, please reach out to me. You can come uh, visit me on my website, johnreillyproject.com. Seek me out on Facebook. I have a John Riley Project Facebook page or on Twitter or Instagram, and my handle there is John Riley Poway. So reach out. If you'd like to be a guest, love to have you. I'm actually having conversations right now with five different guests, and we're trying to schedule them and get them booked. And so I love having guests. In fact, I prefer having guests rather than doing these solo podcasts. But sometimes I've just got thoughts and opinions and I'm sharing them like I'm going to do today. Um, What else is going on? I I just said, yeah, we were just in Albuquerque last weekend and – you know, moving moving our son into the dorms. I'm not sorry, not into the dorms. He's got an apartment. He was in the dorms last year. So he's getting older. He's maturing. He's moving on up. And um, and then my daughter is home for the summer, and she just graduated from college. And she was commenting to me, this is her first fall that she hasn't gone to school since she was like five years old, um, which is amazing. Uh, so she's actually preparing to uh, uh, be a CPA. So she's actually been studying and preparing for her CPA exam. So I'm rooting for her to do well on her tests, and hopefully that all goes smoothly. So. Yeah, we've been um, scrambling with family stuff. We've been producing these other episodes. And plus, I have my day job and lots of other things keeping me busy, Uh, working more on exercise and trying to eat better. And so I got a lot of things going on in my life. It's all good. Um, Hey, let's talk about the San Diego County issues. This is what I really wanted to break down. And we're going to look at um, climate change. And, you know, we talked about We've talked about climate change a number of times. You know, we have had multiple episodes talking about electric vehicles. I'm a big proponent of EVs. Our family has two electric vehicles. We have a Hyundai Kona and a Chevy Bolt, and our house is solar powered, and we've got LED lights throughout. And I love all the technology related to some of this, um, you know, green tech, this alternative energy, because I think it's really efficient. Um, I think it's a very exciting technology. And now um, they're talking about bringing some of this to the San Diego City Libraries. And there was an article in the uh, recent San Diego Union Tribune, and I'll link to that in the show notes. And it says three San Diego County or excuse me, three city of San Diego library branches chosen for climate change demonstration project. And I'm like, oh, this got my attention. And so I'll just read you a couple of uh, pieces from the article here. Three San Diego library branches will undergo energy efficiency retrofits this fall as part of a state demonstration project aimed at fighting climate change. Branches in Point Loma, Sierra Mesa, and southeastern San Diego will get solar panels, temperature controls, and lighting reduction monitors funded by a $2.7 million grant from the California Energy Commission. The goal is creating a repeatable blueprint for zero net energy that can be followed by government and private sector buildings throughout the state. And I just thought, man, this is great. I mean, this is perfect because you hear this notion of we need to invest in um, alternative energy, we need to invest in green technology. Usually when that gets rolled out, 
that gets presented to the public in terms of subsidies for homeowners and car drivers, and which really amounts to a whole lot of corporate welfare, in my opinion. Now, granted, yeah, I know I participate in that because there's money on the table and I'm playing the game as the game is set up. I'm not a big proponent of corporate welfare policies or these subsidies from a political level, but from a pragmatic level, from a taxpayer paying level, I want to take advantage of all of those resources, particularly if it's for technology that I really enjoy. But um, what's happening here, which I think is a much better model, is that the government, instead of handing out money to other people, they are instead investing in government facilities. And this, to me, makes a ton of sense. This is what the government should be doing when they invest in climate change. And so this particular project, you know, they're talking about solar, which I think everyone understands, but they're talking about temperature control. So what this is about is automation where the thermostat in the buildings fluctuates and changes, um, the temperature settings change depending on um, you know the time of day, the temperature outside, et cetera. And you'll see also in a lot of these intelligent design buildings, you'll see it with home automation technology. You know they'll have the uh, the shades or the window coverings also automated to cover the sun to prevent heat from coming in. So they can essentially build algorithms to optimize the internal temperature so there is a minimum drag of energy consumption, which I think is awesome. I think it's really smart to do it this way. And then they're talking about lighting reduction monitors. So I assume that means that maybe lights would be dimmed during certain times of the day. Perhaps they have sensors that can understand how much ambient light is coming through the windows and then can adjust the lighting and therefore the energy consumption to optimize. Um, I think this is really cool. And so it's, it's a big win for taxpayers because the city is going to end up using less energy. And when the investment is paid off, and then it's just like what Steve Dow talked about in his podcast, now we've got free energy, you know, once the investment is, is taken care of. So it's, um, it's a really, it's a great deal um, for taxpayers. And, in, and also, there's a lot of mandates from government. And I think the city of San Diego issued their own mandates to reduce their carbon footprint. So this is one of the things they're putting in place to be in compliance. But in the end, I, I like this because you often hear, you know, political figures sort of on a soapbox touting about, um, you know, investing in green energy. And, and, and again, I always like wonder where the money's going, because I often worry about cronyism and corporate welfare. But this is, rather than talking the talk, this is the government walking the walk. This is the government investing in their own technology, in their own buildings, their own facilities, and demonstrating, as this is, this is a demonstration project for climate change, demonstrating to the world, this is how it's done. Um, So I just think it's fantastic. Now, What's interesting, and just to kind of bring it back to my hometown here, the city of Poway, this has been an interesting topic that's been discussed here locally about a climate change plan for Poway. And there are some people in our community, and this has been discussed in the Facebook group, South and North Poway Votes, that there is no climate change policy for Poway, where a lot of other cities have such a climate change. And our city council is is uh, is 
pretty much all Republican. And if you go by the stereotypes, you know, Republicans and climate change, you know, those don't typically align, um, although they do for some. Uh, but I'm just saying as a general rule, based on the brand, those sometimes are in conflict. So our city council has not really put forward a climate change plan. And in some cases, I'm not sure if they really have certain objectives they really want to accomplish. Um, I have recommended, um, and I've talked about it in this podcast, that the city of Poway, if they were to implement a climate change plan, this is what they should be doing. They should be investing in solar technology, LED lighting technology, automation technology, even electric vehicle technology for city facilities, for city lights, indoor and outdoor lighting, for city vehicles. That makes sense. And that's a way that you can, again, show leadership, demonstrate, um, I guess, good um, – I don't know. I, again, this is judgmental. But, you know, good behavior, you know, essentially, uh, you know, showing strong leadership, uh, being a good example for others, and then doing it in a way that you can save taxpayer money. And I think that's a huge deal. So um, – I was looking at the plan and, you know, like we've said, the, these libraries are going to put in solar. They're going to put in um, the lighting controls. They're going to put in the automation, the LED lighting. But I thought, well, they're still leaving things off the table. And obviously, electric vehicle charging stations should be the next thing that they do uh, because if they're generating all this power and solar, hopefully they put in solar panels that deliver energy in, in, uh, that go beyond the scope of what that building needs so they can have surplus energy. And what if, imagine if they could charge cars and then make that charging station available not only for library patrons but for other people in the community to use to get free juice for their car. To me, that makes a ton of sense. Um, the other thing that could be done – is uh, to install batteries. And you and Tesla has been working on this. They have a big battery plant. I think it's in Nevada um, where this battery technology will be able to store the energy because right now during the day, uh, you know, we have solar panels on our home. During the day, the solar powers our house. But at night, there's no solar energy coming in. So then we go on the grid. Now, granted, during the day, we use far less energy then is produced and we're able to send some of the energy back into the grid. So we're effectively net zero. Um, but if we had a battery, then we'd be able to do a lot more interesting things. And I think it would be helpful for the city to consider that as well. Imagine if they had battery power and these libraries were not just self-sufficient to power their own facility, but imagine if they turned into um, micro um, you know, power plants. And then the excess energy that was there could then be used to power streetlights, could then be used to, again, power electric vehicles. And we can come up a whole slew of other things that that essentially this library slash power plant could be doing. But I think this is still a wonderful step in the right direction. And I try to do some of the math on this because I know everyone will say, well, you know, it costs a ton of money to install this stuff. But doesn't make sense financially. And I ran the numbers and I kind of, it's sort of back of the envelope uh, numbers and I'll share the, the breakdown with you. So I looked on their website, the city of San Diego, which is what we're talking about here, not the county. The city of San Diego has 33 libraries. Excuse me, <laughs> I'm misstated. The city of San Diego has 36 libraries with two on the way. They're building ones in Mission Hills slash Hillcrest and in San Ysidro. 
The county, just as an aside, has 33 libraries. Here in Poway, the library here is a county library. But all the libraries within the city of San Diego are city libraries. So there's there's 36 of them that exist now. And I went and looked up at the budget. And for the city of San Diego, their budget for libraries for um, you know energy and utilities is $3.17 million a year to power 36 branches. Now, this is total utilities. That includes gas and water. But, I mean, really, those buildings, it's going to be primary electricity to power lighting, to power electronic devices, to power air conditioning. Probably not a whole lot of gas, probably not a whole lot of water being used in libraries. So let's just, for the sake of discussion, assume all of that is for electricity. Um, So that works out to $88,000 per year per branch in the city of San Diego for the libraries. Um, And I'll share with you in the show notes the the budget document so you can take a look at it uh, from the city of San Diego. Um, So the way this breaks down, the investment, and it's for three branches – there is a $2.7 million grant from the California Energy Commission. So that's going to make up the, the vast majority of it. Then the city of San, of San Diego has to provide 482000 in matching funds. The library itself, um, their budget is going to kick in 220000 The city energy conservation fund is going to donate $180,000, and it said it was primarily for labor. And then the library improvements um, has a trust fund, and that's going to kick in another eighty-two thousand. So the grand total is three million six hundred sixty-four thousand dollars, or about one point two million dollars per branch. Now, I think that's pretty high uh, because you know that in government projects. They always tend to be a lot more expensive than what we normally see in the private sector, partly because um, the government's always pay, pay, paying the prevailing wages, so the labor rates are usually higher. Also, because a lot of companies that sell to government will artificially inflate their price, um, you know. So, and a lot of times th- these numbers can be much larger than you would think it would be. But that's the game that exists in government. That's the reality. So it's about $1.2 million per branch. But each branch spends about $88,000 a year in electricity costs. So that means that it would pay for itself in about 13 years. And you think, well, a 13-year payback, is that good? Well, for home solar, normally the payback is about eight years. But We're doing this assuming that the San Diego gas and electric electricity rates don't change. But you know, and I know, that the SDG&E electricity rates are going to keep going up because they always go up. And this is one of the most expensive electric markets in the nation. So as each progressive year goes by, it's going to cost more and more, assuming they stay with status quo. So really, that 13-year payback might end up being 12, 11, 10 years depending on how much San Diego Gas and Electric increases their rates. But then um, I thought about it and I said, well, let's look at it a different way. Now, imagine it. this is the, the $3.6 million is the total government investment. And really, that's what we should look at. But let's say that you're a San Diego city government person and you're an analyst and you're crunching the numbers. Well, you're getting the money from the state. But 
if you're in the city of San Diego, you're only looking at your budget. And if you're going to look at it from that perspective, which is a narrowed perspective, um, from the city perspective, they're only going to spend 964000 total dollars or $321,000 per branch because there's only three branches participating. And that means the payback from a city perspective would be in only 3.6 years. And then it's a no-brainer. I mean, that's obvious. So I think this is wonderful. Um, I think um, – I, I, I hope these projects are successful. Imagine if you demonstrate this in these three libraries, and then we can just cookie-cutter it and do it for the other – Again, there's going to be 38 branches in the city of San Diego in a few years. So you've got 35 more branches in the city. There's 33 more branches in the county. And that's just the libraries. I mean, what about all the other government buildings that exist? Imagine if they were all powered by solar. Um, You know, again, I'll give Jimmy Carter credit uh, back in the 70s, um, who I think in, in my opinion, I know this runs counter to the opinion of a lot of people, but I think he's going to go down as he's was one of the better presidents. In, in my opinion, maybe one of the least damaging presidents. He put um, solar panels on the roof of the White House, uh, but Reagan tore them down. But the one thing about and this is a big tangent. But the thing about Carter that I love is he was a big deregulator. Um, he deregulated trucking. He deregulated the airlines. He deregulated the beer industry. Um, back in the Carter era, there were only about 50 brewers. Now there are over 5,000 because of the microbeer explosion. So big shout out to Jimmy Carter, not only uh, the, the deregulator in chief, which I love, um, but also um, helping uh, bring forward the revolution in microbrewing, which here in San Diego County is a big deal. Uh, so many microbrews here, but I don't know, I'm on a crazy tangent. This is a good plan for the city of San Diego. Um, we can argue about whether or not there should be subsidies, and that's a different conversation. The fact is the subsidies exist, so you got to take advantage of them. That's what I'm doing in my house with my solar and with my electric cars. Um, And if those subsidies exist, you have to play the game based on the rules that are on the table. And and if money is offered, take it and use it to your advantage. Um, So the city's doing that. So I applaud them. A uh, big shout out to uh, Mayor Steve Voss and the rest of the Poway City Council. Um, I would encourage you to consider a similar plan here in the city of Poway uh, to implement a climate change plan for Poway. Just doing this, you know, just investing in our own resources, showing and do it if you want. Just do it strictly on a return on investment perspective on saving taxpayer dollars. And if you did it just on that level, it would be a big win. But you could also demonstrate leadership on climate change and green energy. And I think that would win a lot of fans in our town. Okay. Moving along. Um, All right. Well, we're getting to topic number two here. Um, The Oceanside Housing Project and Jason Mraz are involved. You remember Jason Mraz? He's the uh, um, acoustic guitar uh, singer, songwriter. He's from here from San Diego. And he had that big hit, Take Me, I'm Yours. Um, Was a big success on the coffee circuit here like 15, 20 years ago. And just like Jewel, really, and uh, and became a national phenom. And I, I'm a fan of his music. I think he's a, a very talented guy. But he came up in this story, which is really interesting. Um, 
I'll just give you the excerpt. This is also um, – this is actually from NBC San Diego. So this is Channel 739. Again, I'll include links in the, in the show notes. North River Farms. This is the name of the housing development that's being proposed in the city of Oceanside. North River Farms would be built on a 177-acre plot of land on North River Road south of the Arrowhead Golf Course, which currently houses fields of tomatoes. Um, according to Jason Mraz, he said he, apparently he wrote a letter um, to this, the mayor of Oceanside and the city council, and he said, please don't let the developers convince the city council of a shiny carrot when Oceanside's agriculture community could possibly provide a larger and more long-term return through managing and protecting our agricultural resources. So apparently Mraz is a, actually owns a farm in Oceanside. I'm not sure what he's growing out there. I know there's again that we're talking about tomatoes here. I know there's there's a um, a vineyard or winery that's up there. So I'm not sure what Mraz is growing, but he is a, a a farm owner up there, urging the city council not to do this project. But the developer, uh, Integral Communities, that's the name of the company, said that North River Farms would be a first of its kind agri-village development, so kind of agriculture and village together, agri-village development, with about 30 acres of dedicated farmland in addition to about 700 homes and a boutique hotel. Integral Communities has reduced the proposal's commercial aspects and the housing density by 30 percent while increasing the farm acreage. So obviously, they were getting some heat and they adjusted their plan to have more farmland, less um, commercial um, aspects, and also reduce the housing density. So they're trying to appease the local homeowners. And I'm, li- I'm looking at this, and you know, actually this, this story was, was sent to me yesterday by a, a previous guest on the John Riley Project, John Carson. Thanks for sharing this with me. Um, and we were talking about it. We had a conversation on Facebook Messenger, and you know, how this – is um, very similar to what's going on here in Poway with the farms at Stone Ridge project, although it seems to be a much larger scale project where they're trying to integrate farming and agriculture along with housing and trying to find a way to build more homes while still reflecting the the brand and the identity of the local community, um, some of the sensibilities of the local community. And um, we were John and I were commenting that um, in many cases, every one of the people in this argument are right. <laughs> so you've got the um, the property owners and they have property rights and they want to build. Um, and so they're urging, you know, obviously, for some zoning changes, um, but they still own the property. Um, at the same time, you've got um, the locals that want to preserve the character of their community, locals that want to essentially freeze time and keep their community just the way it is when they bought their home. Um, in, in my opinion, a lot of these um, homeowners um, in the area are NIMBYs, which, you know, not in my backyard, uh, but it's a common thing. And it doesn't necessarily line up as liberal or conservative, left or right, Republican, Democrat. It seems to span all political ideologies is there's always usually resistance to development in people's communities. And I understand it. I get it. Um, people want to uh, preserve the character um, and the brand identity of their community. People don't like disruption. People don't like change. Um, so there's resistance that, resistance there. But 
At the same time, you know, the other party in this that's right on this issue are the people that are clamoring about a solution to the housing crisis. And we've talked about that extensively here on the podcast where the cost of housing is extraordinarily high because there's huge demand to live in San Diego for obvious reasons. Um, It's beautiful to live here. Um, But at the same time, there are restrictions and limits and boundaries to how much development can occur. And so it's like Econ 101, when demand is high and supply is contained, reduced, restricted, that just sends prices up. And that's why housing is so darn expensive, whether you're a home buyer or you're a renter. In both cases, it increases pricing, which creates a cascade of challenges. And we we see this in our communities. Well, not only is housing taking up greater and greater portions of people's family budgets, but it's leading to people having to where they can afford to live ends up being far away from where they work. So people are driving longer distances. There's more congestion on the freeways. If you're a climate change person, you might be shrieking about more carbon emissions. Um, And then, you know, there's the whole angle, the homeless crisis. And there are many reasons why we have a homeless crisis, particularly in California, uh, particularly in San Diego County. One of many of those reasons is the fact that housing is so expensive. Um, So people can't afford to get an entry-level place, and maybe they are able to eke by on an entry-level place, and then some situation happens in their life, car repair, loss of job, some kind of random event, um, and then suddenly their life spirals out of control. They can no longer afford their place, and then they're living in their car or worse. Um, And so the price of housing plays a role in that. So I I just think this is an interesting topic, the whole housing issue in San Diego County, in in really California, the greater United States. We even see a lot of that here in Poway. A lot of the same conversation occurs with the farms at Stone Ridge and also the development on Poway Road. So um, I'm, I'm very, I'm interested to see how this plays out because for me, I'm I'm a big individual rights guy. I'm a big property rights guy. And that, from for, for speaking for myself, that is sort of my guiding light. So if a person owns land, I think they should be able to build on the land. Um, and I think a lot of these zoning restrictions, I, I think, are damaging um, because they limit property rights and they end up creating chaos and distortions in the marketplace, which is exactly what we're talking about here. So I know that this is a proposal. It's it's being it has to be approved by the city government in the city of Oceanside. Not sure how this is going to play out. Just from reading the article, seeing the news story on on Channel Seven Thirty Nine, seems like the city council in Poway might excuse me the city council in Oceanside might be resistant to it. We'll see. So we'll keep an eye on it. But this. There's so many things going on with housing because there's more development being proposed in various cities. Mayor Kevin Faulkner in the city of San Diego made um, NIMBYism uh, a big part of his city of the uh, state of the city address for the city of San Diego. I did a whole podcast episode on that. So I, I encourage you to go back and look at the archives, check it out. 
City leaders are trying to figure this out. How do we make housing more affordable so we can provide opportunities for people in the middle class so we don't um, have challenges for people on the lower end of the economic spectrum, so we don't have people living out of their cars, living in tent cities? And um, how do we do it while trying to have a a good quality of life in each of our communities? And it's a pickle. Um, In my opinion, I think we have to be willing to evolve. We have to be willing to change. If we stay in the status quo, um, and if we are resistant to change, these problems are only going to get worse. And so we need leadership on these issues. Um, There's some changes happening in Poway. There's potentially more happening in Poway. I know the Poway Road stuff has already been approved. The farms at Stone Ridge will be coming up on the ballot in 2020, most likely. Um, What are we going to see in the city of Oceanside? So we'll keep an eye on this one, and I'll report back to you as more issues come forward. Um, All right, moving on uh, to our third topic. And uh, this is a rapid-fire podcast, and and, um, just sharing my thoughts on various issues. And it's funny, I I plan these podcasts, and I always think, what the heck am I going to talk about? And so I make a list, and I have like a journal, and sometimes I'm – talking about these things. And when you're talking about current events, current news, things are so timely. Um, so when I see it, I got to react <laughs> because to keep it in the uh, zeitgeist, right? Keep it while these issues are trending locally. Um, so I'm going to be doing a lot more of this. I'm going to try to do, by the way, a lot of these podcasts, you usually see it in one of two settings. It's either here at my um, uh my solo podcast desk with the green screen background behind me with usually a very attractive photo of the city of Poway, sometimes of San Diego, or I have, which is actually on the other side of the room here where I have my guests. Um, Usually most of our podcasts are there. I'm going to try to break out. And we did a little bit of that about a month ago when I got kicked out of my podcast studio. Um, And I did some podcasts from my backyard, but I'm going to try to shake it up, give you guys some different visuals. That's one of the things I'm working on a lot more mobile podcasts while I'm out and about in my car. So that'll be some fun that we'll have some experiments with, but all right, enough of that. (laughs) All right. So the last topic we're going to get into, and this was an interesting one. Uh, This involves the uh, San Diego County Republican Party, Um, and they have come out with their own website, their own news website. Um, And this is a very interesting topic. And I think it's interesting whether you're Republican or Democrat or you love Republicans, hate Republicans. It's still this is an interesting topic. So. Let me read the, the the piece here, and this is an uh, it was again an article in the San Diego Union Tribune, and I will share the link in the show notes. The San Diego County Republican Party recently launched a new political communications tool that looks like a local news website, albeit a politically right leaning one. And then, according to um, San Diego County. Uh, Republican Party chairman Tony Kravarek, he declared on Twitter, the era of liberal elites dictating what is news is O-V-E-R, over. (laughs) So um, 
readers learned that, and this is the name of the website, it's sandiegonewsdesk.com. So readers learned that sandiegonewsdesk.com is a Republican Party product when they get to the bottom of the whole page or an article. The disclosure there says paid for by the Republican Party of San Diego. Also listed are the identification numbers for the party's state and local political committees and its associated tax-exempt organization. So this is interesting. Uh, and there's a lot of different angles to this. Um, first of all, I don't have a problem with this at all. I, I, I think it's fine. I think full disclosures are there. Now, granted, are they in flashing red lights in the headline? No, they're in the footer. They're in their About Us page. Um, but I think this is a good idea I mean, from their perspective because they're trying to get their message out. They're they're just producing content. This is consistent with the First Amendment, with freedom of speech, which I'm a big individual rights guy, a big, big, big freedom of speech guy. So I think, hey, man, right, go for it. Tony Kravarik, man. Yeah, he gets a lot of heat from a lot of people in San Diego County, sometimes for very good reasons. But I think this is a good idea. I think this is very innovative on their part. Now, one could make parallels with Fox News and the Republican Party. Is Fox News a propaganda mouthpiece of the Republican Party? And I think there's a lot of people that believe that to be true. Um, and uh, is this kind of a similar thing? Um, but, you know, it, it's it's a website. And, you know, all of these political parties are just trying to get their message out. And I don't have a problem with that. I think if you don't have to listen, you don't have to watch, you don't have to read. Um, but if you do go to this website and read it, it says clearly where it's coming from. And I, I just grabbed a few of the headlines and I want to share them with you here in the podcast just so you can get an idea of the flavor of things that they're talking about. Because these are actually articles written. In some cases, there's a byline, but you know, with the author's name of the article. In some cases, not. Um, and then they'll, they will often link to other people and other articles and other sources. Uh, but clearly, this is, um, in some cases, opinion. In some cases, it's, and I'll do this in air quotes, straight news. Um, it, in some cases, it's an attempt at news, but it clearly has a bias. So, here are the article headlines. Number the, the big one was the University of San Diego coordinating with San Diego County Board of Supervisors on business development. Okay, that sounds generally Republican. Uh, the second one was San Diego Democrats to women candidates, colon, thanks, but no thanks. Okay, there's a hit on Democrats. The third one, pro-life students at Cal State San Marcos score a major victory. So again, right-leaning conservative. Then there's another one, and it, this one clearly said it was an opinion piece. The San Diego Union-Tribune reports news tries and fails to smear San Diego News Desk. And now I'm going to comment on that in a minute. Um, then the other article was the Sweetwater Drowning and Financial Scandal. That's the school district. And we've talked about that. We love talking about our local school districts. Poway Unified. We've talked about Sweetwater. Um, a lot of scandals, losing a ton of money. Um, so they're coming out there, hammering them. Um, just as a tangent, um, on the Poway uh, school board, T.J. Zane, the former executive director of the San Diego County Republican Party, sits on the Poway Unified School Board, a school board that is also in major deficit challenges, running structural deficits, seeing dwindling reserves in a financial condition that is concerning, uh, particularly when we were having a robust economy, uh, when you would expect revenues 
things to be good and that they are failing, in my opinion, to control expenses, um, which kind of goes against the whole fiscal conservative perspective of a lot of um, so-called uh, Republicans. Anyways, I digress. Um, oh, the other headline, Sandy, San Diegans file lawsuit against California's war on the Second Amendment. OK, so clearly this is Republican right leaning. The next one was Assemblyman Todd Gloria and the San Diego County Democratic Party being sued for campaign finance violations. Okay, there's no mention of Duncan Hunter. There's only mention of Todd Gloria. Um, And then finally, Democratic education policies are failing disadvantaged students. So if you read this to any rational person, you would realize that this is very biased. It is by no means balanced. They're not pretending to be fair and balanced, as Fox News pretends to be. Um, But it's, um, it's clearly... It's clearly biased to the perspective of the Republican Party. And again, I, like I said, I have no problem with it. I think, you know, go for it, Tony. Speak your mind. Get on your soapbox. Share the message. Um, get your content out, you know, because that's what political parties are trying to do is trying to influence people, trying to sway public opinion. Go for it. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, in, in the um, in, in, in uh, Kravark's Twitter announcement, the era of liberal elites dictating what is news is over. And this is kind of funny because it goes to this whole paranoia. Maybe it's a reality check. Depends on your perspective that the the media is dominated by liberals. Now, the media is biased. There are no doubt about it. Now, in some cases, it's biased towards liberal policies. No question. We see that a lot. In some cases, it's biased towards right-leaning policies like this website, SanDiegoNewsDesk.com, like Fox News. And we can, you know, we can go like The Blaze. And there's a whole bunch of online outlets that are clearly right-leaning. Um, but in my opinion, I, I know I, when I see the corporate news, you know, granted, yeah, Fox News is right-leaning, MSNBC left-leaning. CNN, I used to always think of as neutral. I used to, and now I'm seeing that they're, they're definitely leaning more left. But sometimes I think a lot of the corporate, a lot of the major media outlets like cable news or even a lot of the major newspapers, they seem to be almost um, biased towards establishment interests, Bias towards um, the existing structure in society, uh, bias towards maintaining status quo. Um, in some cases, that they end up with a liberal angle. Some cases, a right wing angle. So I, I've always said to myself, there's no such thing as a purely unbiased source of media. It just doesn't exist. Um, now, I know some people will claim NPR is not biased. They're, they're level, but they're not either because every, every news piece is biased based on either what they say or what they choose not to say. Like an example is, is sometimes you'll say, well, an article or a news story came out and it was clearly one-sided. And then sometimes someone will say, well, no, this article was balanced because we talked to one side and we talked to 
the other side. And we try to balance the two. But frequently, there's a third side, a fourth side, a fifth side. There's lots of other perspectives. And those are usually kept out. A classic example of this is when you look at the way the news media covers um, the political process. They focus on the two major parties. It's Republicans and Democrats. It's Democrats and Republicans. How often are independent candidates being covered? Very rarely. And when they are covered, like someone like Justin Amash, who I'm a big fan of, he's an independent congressman who just left the Republican Party in, in Michigan. When he leaves, you see a lot of hit pieces coming out uh, in the media trying to tear him down. Um, so uh, and then you, you look at the debate stage and heck, I mean, when we were in 2016, how many uh, podiums were there in the final debates? It was just two. Trump and Hillary. Um, so you see the media always propping up two parties, often leaving third parties and independents largely unrepresented. That's what I mean by the fact that the corporate media tends to be very establishment biased. Um, and 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 the bias is shown not in terms of what they say, but what they choose not to say, what perspectives they choose not to share, what candidates they choose not to invite into uh, profiles or, or debates or, or what have you. So I, in my opinion, all media is biased. So that's why what I try to do, and I would encourage you to do, is to get your media from as many sources as you can. Uh, go to left and right and all different up and down, all the different types of media, and then distill the truth yourself. Um, and talk with people that you trust and Work to understand the truth yourself, but understand that all media is biased. So anyways, enough of that soapbox. But this is what the other part of it I wanted to talk about. The um, In the San Diego newsdesk.com website, um, there was an opinion piece. You know, I read the headline, San Diego Union Tribune reports news tries and fails to smear San Diego news desk. This was the funny part because the Union Tribune was kind of doing a hit piece um, on – the Republicans for coming out with this website because they're making it look like news. But the Republicans declare their bias. They say this is funded by the San Diego County Republican Party. The Union Tribune does not declare their bias. You have to infer it based on by reading articles and getting different perspectives, talking to different people. You can understand it and distill that truth yourself. But they never declare their own bias. Um, not anywhere to the same degree. So it's funny. You know, it's almost like the pot calling the kettle black. Um, and uh, um, the other angle to this, and this is another reason why I, I think what Kravarik is doing here with the Republican Party and this website, I think is a good thing. Because you hear people say, ah, oh, the media is controlled, it's corporate media, and there's only, you know, a, a collection of, you know, conglomerates like, you know, uh, uh, Time Warner and, and, you know, all the major media conglomerates. Um, because of that, some people think that alternative viewpoints are being suppressed. In some cases, they are, which I've just talked about. I'm of the opinion now, though, that 
the internet has opened up a wide world of opportunity for alternative opinions, different perspectives, people to do podcasts, just like what I'm doing here, um, to share their thoughts, their opinions, to collect news and present information. I think this is the most fantastic era for free speech in terms of what's happening online. This is, by the way, why I'm really, really concerned about you know, the government jumping into bed with some of these social media companies, as President Trump was talking about, trying to suppress or police or regulate the content that's on those platforms. Now, by the way, if Twitter or Facebook want to regulate their own content, go for it. That's just like a newspaper choosing which letters of the editor to produce or to, or to print. But if the government gets involved, the government starts manipulating, controlling, policing, regulating speech, then we've got a huge problem. Then we've got an Orwellian uh, 1984 situation about newspeak and now all that. That's where it gets ugly. Um, So the fact that more alternative perspectives are coming forward, hey, man, right on. Bring it forward. And then readers will will read and we'll challenge it. We'll debate it. We'll discuss it. And we'll determine if the content is good or bad or bogus. um, And we'll take it from there. So um, I would encourage you to check out SanDiegoNewsDesk.com and um, offer opinions. I'm not sure if there is a, a, uh, a comment section on the articles. If there is, respond. Share them and share your opinion good, bad, ugly, and let people know. So if you like what they're producing, share it. And if you don't like it, let people know. I think the more we understand about all the different media sources, the better. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm a big proponent of free speech. And, and we had a little bit of a bit on that in the podcast we did recently with Steve Dow. You know, um, uh, there are some people that say that all, all speech should be regulated, that no right should be absolute. And I think BS, man, the free speech should be an absolute right. You should be able to say whatever you want. The words that come out of your mouth should never, ever be illegal. Of course, though, you are responsible for the consequences of your actions, which is a whole separate issue. If the words you speak instigate riots or chaos. Like if you're shouting fire in a crowded theater, the speech of saying the word fire is not illegal, in my opinion. And I think the Supreme Court would, has, will back me on that. Um, but if you are in instigating a riot, particularly a riot on false premises, then that is something that is worthy of government stepping in and, and, and holding people accountable for but not the words themselves. And I think that's a very important nuance that I think should be separated. That's why I think free speech, I'm a big absolutist on it. So um, I'm curious to see what happens with this website, sandiegonewsdesk.com. Are we going to see left-leaning folks screaming and demanding that it be taken down um, or that their content be regulated? Are they going to be reported as violating campaign disclosure? I don't know. We'll see. But I'm curious. So I'm hoping that the site stays up and I hope they get their message out and I hope people are able to essentially form their own opinion about the content that comes off the website. So anyways, I I do think it's interesting, though. Um, SanDiegoNewsDesk.com. So, okay, so um, we're at the end of the podcast, and I always like to share a couple of closing quotes. Um, And these are good ones. They're all free speech quotes, right? We love talking about free speech. And we just talked about Orwell in 1984. Here's a great one from George Orwell. 
If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. Ha, that's exactly right. That's the whole point of the free speech um, of the First Amendment is to say things that are unpopular, to say things that like I often say that hate speech is free speech. That's the whole point of free speech. That doesn't mean hate speech is moral. It doesn't mean hate speech is civil. It doesn't mean hate speech is um, appropriate or polite. Um, hate speech should be condemned. Hate speech leads to huge problems in society, but hate speech should be legal. Um, and I think that's important. Um, Oscar Wilde had another great quote. He said, I may not agree with you, but I will defend to the death your right to make an ass out of yourself. Yeah, again, uh, I defend your right to say it, um, but I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, and then Christopher Hitchens, who this guy, he's a very strong opinionated guy. He passed away, I think, a number of years ago. Um, he said, my own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get in line, and kiss my ass. <laughs> so Christopher Hitchens, another, I think, free market absolutist. Um, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of that idea. So um, – that concludes it. So, wow, we just talked about climate change. We talked about housing. We talked about free speech. We talked about the San Diego County Republican Party. We talked about the city of Oceanside, the city of Poway, Sweetwater School District, Poway Unified School District. This is a San Diego County podcast. This is a Poway-based podcast. We shift gears. We do a lot of things. So I hope you enjoyed it. This is episode number 70 of the John Riley Project. The date of this recording is Thursday, August 22nd, 2019. Have a great day and thank you for being with us. Bye-bye.